guest today named Bernice, who is actually a coworker of mine. Um, and so we've known each other for like four years. Yeah, I think we worked together. And um, yeah, she has some really interesting secrets that I'm actually, we're gonna jump into this one actually a little bit faster than we have in previous episodes because I think we have enough to fill up this entire episode. Just with <laughs> I, I just, got a lot of dirt. I just also I just want to go into every time before the podcast, <laughs> Kitty likes to start talking about everything we're gonna talk about, and I'm no. like, oh, stop, stop. This is for the podcast. So that's how, we already have a really good idea, and the, the gears are already like working yeah. and stuff. So we're just we're loosened up. We're ready to just like launch up. right into it. We're gonna catch you up now on yeah, what we've been exactly. talking about for the last hour. Um, so Bernice, you wanna start? Just introduce a little bit, and you can jump into whatever secrets you want. Yeah. Um, hi, I'm Bernice, and I well one one secret is that I've been in eating disorder recovery for the last two years. Actually, this. This month um, will be two years for binge eating disorder, um, and I've had multiple eating disorders throughout my life: um, anorexia, bulimia for a little bit, and then um, binge eating disorder. But um, yeah, it just kind of morphs throughout depending on the situation. So, what is binge eating disorder? Binge eating disorder um, is when and. and the one thing they say is most people have this idea of they, they binge a lot. But binge eating disorder is where you binge to the point where you black out and get this feeling of almost, um, it's almost like a high that you get yeah. after you're done eating. And, and you do it for the purpose of that high. So you don't have to feel whatever emotion or feeling you're currently trying to avoid. So um, it's usually, it's it happens often. Um, I'm trying to remember, they, they give, there's a whole pamphlet that <laughs> describes exactly what it is. Happens often, um, it, you black out, you blank out, you know, when it happens. Wow. How long are you usually, like, blacked out for? Oh, well, so I'll give you an example. Okay. When I went in for my intake appointment, they said, give us an example of one of your binges. And I said, well, one of the more recent ones is I went to a local cupcake shop, one of those gourmet ones, and got a 12-pack of those gourmet cupcakes, you know, you individually pick out each yeah. one. It wasn't the like kind Nadia's. right. And you, yes. you don't just walk in a cub and get a twelve pack of cupcakes. You get the really good ones. Yeah. Um, my grandpa, who I'm really close with, had just gone into the hospital. Um, massive brain hemorrhage, like was basically we were told he was going to die. Mm. So I was dealing with a lot, and so I was like, oh, I'm gonna get these cupcakes and just you know zone out. Um, so I got into my car after buying them, and proceeded to eat them between there and my house, and I don't remember driving home. I don't remember eating the cupcakes. I don't remember how they tasted. I, I mean, I could have probably hit someone and I wouldn't have known until I actually, you know, had the impact of hitting someone like that. I was blacked out. So um, you're not, you're not like passed out. No. You're just, okay. It's like, wow. It, it's a zone. Yes. Yeah. You're sub, you're not there. Um, but I remember getting into my garage and sitting and looking at the mess of cu cupcake wrappers and crumbs all over, and thinking like, what the hell? Yeah. You know, what what just happened? But that had happened so many times before. Just different foods, usually sweets or carbs. I was gonna ask that. Yeah. If it was a specific, because like, can you imagine doing that on a bunch of broccoli? No. Right. No, and that's the thing. Okay, so I actually just was listening to a podcast earlier this morning. Mm -hmm. um, Pete Holmes, You Made It Weird, little plug, my favorite podcast in the world. And he had a 
nutritionist on, and he, the nutri well, doctor, whatever he's actually doctor nutritarian is like his official title is what mm -hmm. he calls himself, but he was saying how sugar and white flour are like the drugs of this society. Yeah, I've heard and like that too. it's what's killing mm -hmm. us. It's yeah. a leading cause of cancer mm -hmm. and depression and all that kind of stuff. Because like as you're talking about this, it sounds like a drug. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so those foods yeah. specifically make sense of like being able to have that effect on you yeah. because they are a drug. Well, and that's when we're going through the program, um, they, they talk to us about these studies that showed that our bodies do recognize these different things as drugs. They're not drugs yeah. and they're not necessarily not label them, label them right. but, but our bodies, I mean, have some of the same reactions as they do chemical wise yeah. as drugs. And that's what I used it for because... Yeah. To me, drugs were expensive. Um, you know, I dabbled in marijuana, but drugs were really expensive. My grandfather was an alcoholic, and so that was taboo. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't be an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. These, you know, those were societal issues. They're problems that I couldn't have, so this was the next best thing. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I just, Go ahead. Well, I think that I remember you telling me this story a few months ago, and I just remember being like, I did not know the body was capable of blacking out from overeating mm -hmm. um and I, I'm also curious like is it uncomfortable at any point like before you black out or is it like no maybe similar to other drugs too where it's maybe an uncomfortable process but you're just so motivated it's the emotions are what's uncomfortable and I don't think I recognized that before therapy mm -hmm. um I was in this mode of need to deal with, need to get rid of these. And that's what I've learned through therapy is that all my life I've tried to not deal with negative emotions. Yeah. Um, try and push them away. And I really haven't dealt with them. Um, so that's what, you know, the shit show this winter was. <laughs> I don't know if I can swear, but the shit show this oh, yeah. winter. <laughs> the, the shit show this yeah. winter um, was, was all of that stuff that I pushed away coming back. Now, after a binge, um, there is a sense of that euphoria that you get with drugs, um, but then there's a sense, you get the feeling of guilt, of shame, you're stuffed. <laughs> and you're like, what yeah. the hell? You know, why did I do that? Yeah. But it doesn't change the, I mean, you get, you're rewarded with that blackout and that high yeah. afterwards. So when would you say that you're kind of, um, well, yeah. When would you get this binge um, eating disorder? Eating disorder just started. Binge eating disorder. Probably. So let me let me quickly go through. So my eating disorders actually started at seven. We figured out mm -hmm. um, the actual sneaking of food and eating food for comfort started then. Um, you know, due to some childhood traumas in my um, past, and then anorexia was between. 8th and 11th grade around senior year is when the binge eating disorder started and it just kind of ramped up and progressed as stress happened and issues happened and basically my emotions it was like a giant snowball all the stuff that I hadn't dealt with just kind of kept piling up and piling up do you remember the first time you binge ate and was it like something that you discovered on accident or had you heard about it I think it was gradual Okay. in my mind um, it was you know, going out, my friend broke up with her boyfriend in high school, and she's like, let's go get donuts. And I was like, yeah, and so I got, you know, yeah. three or four donuts, and I think she did too, and we sat and ate them, and I was like, oh, this is, this is good, and I, I remember that 
And then I remember repeating that with another unhappy memory or another feeling that I didn't like. And I guess I feel like it was kind of gradual. Mm-hmm. And when you say that, I feel like that's a very relatable statement. Because oh, yeah. I think a lot of us, I do that. I actually, every time I have a breakup, I throw myself mm-hmm. a cake night. Uh-huh. And that's like, uh-huh. literally, I, I do that. Right. Where it's like, I purposely choose something that's like yummy comfort food. And I binge in that for the sake of like, what I call a healing process. And so that's really interesting that just like probably with alcohol or with any, what we label a drug, it's probably the same process where people aren't, aren't even, especially with food. I think that we don't think of that as being a scary drug. We don't think of that as being a drug like sugar and wheat. Like I don't think of those as a drug typically. And so that's what's so hard. That would be especially sneaky about it. Right. Well, and that's, so that's what they say. I'm at the point now where, um, you know, with binge eating disorder, you, most people do gain a significant amount of weight because you're eating a lot of food and it depends on how much you're going through. And so I'm at the point now where weight loss has become okay. You know, they're okaying weight loss. And so yeah. I'm talking to them about like, okay, well, how do I eat like a normal person? What is a normal person? How do they eat? And, you know, she said, normal people do emotionally eat. You know, normal people do go out and have fun with their friends. And then, you know, the next day they kind of realize, oh, I overate yesterday, so I'm going to kind of rein it in today. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's the thing. Food, you can't give up. Like alcohol, like drugs, like cigarettes. You can't give it up. You have to manage it. Yeah. And that's, That's I think, what I'm struggling with at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And what is that... What does that struggle look like for you in managing it? It looks like nothing right now. Like, I yeah. I don't know what to do with it. Yeah. Um, and the problem is, binge eating disorder is a fairly new um, disorder. So it used to be under what they called OSD, and I, I don't remember what the acronym stands for. Something... Uh, some some sort of group of eating disorders. But they, they pulled it out, and they're finding that a lot more people have this than originally thought. Mm. But it's like two or three years new. And so they don't actually know a lot of how to deal with this. So the program I'm in, um, they don't know what to do with binge eating disorder people because a lot of them are overweight, and they need to lose weight eventually health-wise. And they don't really know what process to go through with someone who's had an eating disorder. And that's the frustration that I'm finding right now is they deal with anorexia and bulimia, which they need to gain weight a lot of times, not always. Um, but they don't know how to deal with people that need to lose weight Mm. and how to teach us non disordered thinking with food and lose weight at the same time. Cause you, you restrict. Exactly. You restrict, which feels very much punishing. Uh And so, yeah, how do you, because it's, it's kind of the same thing with, yeah. like, uh, facing those negative emotions, mm-hmm. where it's like, mm-hmm. how do you face that negative choice? Yeah. It, you know, it feels like a negative thing yeah. for your life. How do you face that and not feel bad about it or mm-hmm. guilt or shame? And then what it's, Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. what it's bringing up is that you need to lose weight, and that yep. can very quickly become a negative thing about right. yourself. Yep. Yikes. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering... Just the little bits that I have read and learned about eating disorders is that it so often is based in or triggered by a trauma, mm-hmm. and sometimes really kind of you you've already mentioned you see trends like with stress with mm-hmm. reminders of that trauma if it was a specific trauma traumatic experience. So is that something that you're open to talking about? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Feel like that's rooted in. Yeah. Um, I. 
Oh man, where to start? I feel like I have lots of di- lots of digging to do, but I've done a lot of the work over the last years. Um, what we've kind of looked at. So, my <laughs> there's a couple different aspects of my childhood. So I had a physically abusive father. Um, basically, just mainly to me, um, mainly focused on me. Um, a little bit as I was as I'm talking to my siblings, a little bit, um, you know, my siblings had a, my sister was talking about a time when we were sitting at the dinner table and she said something and she got backhanded, you know, mm-hmm. for it. But she, when we were talking, she said, "But you got the brunt of it." And she, we were both talking about we don't know why. Um, things like, I mean, when I talk about physical abuse, the one the biggest thing I remember is I was in high school and I don't know, it was probably 16, 15, 16. And I had left my wallet somewhere. I was out with friends, had left it somewhere. And I was, we were arguing back and forth about what to do about it. And I probably had some teenager sass going on or something. And I turned around, I remember walking away and all of a sudden like feeling, felt like my hair was being ripped up, but he had, he had pulled me back, yanked me to the floor by my ponytail sat on my stomach and was punching me in the face. Oh. My. And, and I was so shocked by the whole thing. Like, I didn't even know what to do. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember my mom standing there, not... I think she was shocked and she didn't know what to do, didn't know how to react. Um, but, so things like that. Um, that was probably the worst of it. I, you know, I actually had to cover up bruises That's on my face. That was bad. Yeah. That was bad. Um, there's many others, but that was the worst. The thing that I remember afterwards is my mom, you know, I remember like I had ice on my face and my eye that night and my mom crawled into bed with me and she was like crying and she said, do you want me to leave him? Mm. And so that kind of started this whole putting the pressure on me then these decisions for the family. Do yeah. you want me to leave them? And, and she would do this often. Um, Instead of taking responsibility. Right. For so it, now, so you know, not only, on you. yes, not only did this situation happen to me, but now I'm going to break up the family because of this issue right. that I didn't really have any control over. Right. But no. at that age, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Um, I was just, you know, things were happening to me. Um, my father also had multiple affairs when I was a kid. Um, the only reason I know this is because I was my mom's confidant during this time. Mm-hmm. I was the person, the oldest? I'm the oldest okay. yeah. and the person my mom talked to about everything. My mom showed me pictures of these people. Yeah. My mom, it was, oh. it was so traumatizing and I think it ruined me for <laughs> entrusting relationships. It's something yeah. I'm dealing with yeah. right now too. Um, but my mom didn't have a lot of close girlfriends. She didn't want to tell her parents that her husband was having affairs. So I was the next best thing. So not only was I dealing with, you know, all of those things, I was then dealing with, um, you know, being my mom's confidant, knowing my parents' marriage was not what it is, um, hearing about my dad's sexual, you know, exploitation, whatever. Um, and I was also dealing with some sexuality identity issues by myself. Mm-hmm. And so... I think there was a lot. Yeah, that's a storm. Yeah, that's a storm. and and I didn't yeah. didn't deal with it. I didn't deal with it. I tucked it away. I you don't have the ability to at that age. No, you and know? You're not, and yeah. my family didn't deal with emotions. 
um, or bad negative emotions. And that's one thing I've recently come to realize is, and they do it still, whenever something negative comes up, my mom's side, if I mean my dad's side, they just shut down, they don't talk about it, it's done. Mm -hmm. Let's not talk about it. Mm -hmm. So there was never really any healthy coping mechanisms or teaching me of that. Like, what yeah. does that look like? How do you deal with this? It's okay to feel sad. It's okay to be angry. You know, it's okay to be frustrated at some, excuse me, someone. Um, I didn't have that. And so food, I had food. Uh, my grandparents, I remember, were my saving grace because whenever they were over, I didn't get in trouble. I was yelled at constantly. Mm. I was blamed for everything. By your grandparents? Um, no, by, right? my, by my parents. Right, okay. My grandparents, when they came over, were like, oh, whenever, the, they, were, they were the best. Like, yeah. I, I see my grandparents as these, like, you know, mm -hmm. amazing people. Did they um, know anything that was going on, do you think? No, and I don't think they do to this yeah. day. But, but the correlation to food, um, they constantly brought over donuts and muffins whenever oh. they came over. So it's oh. something we're recently going into is yeah. whenever they came over when I was a little kid, they'd always bring over like these baked goods and these pastries. And that was, <laughs> I loved it. That was such a happy time in my life. And you already felt way safer when they were in the house. Yeah. So probably food yeah. has such a safety right. correlation. Right. Whoa. I know, big, deep. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, like finding this stuff out. It's amazing. Have you been giving yourself so much more grace? Grace, exactly. Yes. And yes. room for all this. Because it's like, how None else? your choice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. How else would, would you have dealt with yeah, this stuff. Well, and, and I've actually been very open with my mom about it yeah. um, and everything. And she, I think it's been a little bit hard for her to hear the things, but she, she's been amazing through the whole process and amazing um, hearing the things that maybe are hard to hear for her. Mm -hmm. The things that maybe she did that resulted in some yeah. things. And, and I get it. And I told her, I said, I understand this is going to be painful. I said, this is painful for me too. Mm -hmm. um, but it's it's been... <laughs> the hardest thing I've ever done in my life so far and it's been the best thing. I can tell just like in the way that you talk about mm -hmm. it because a lot of times when people are sharing these really shame-ridden, you know, mm -hmm. secrets and, and experiences in their life, they can't make eye contact and the way that they talk about it is very mm -hmm. skittish and yeah. it's, you know, this testing of how, what you're going to think and mm -hmm. the way that you talk about it is so bold yeah. and confident yeah. and this is how it is and it's beautiful Thank you. and yeah. it's inspiring it's, really it's to own truth. it you yeah. know exactly mm -hmm. exactly that's all you can do yeah. is own it yep. you know if you want to make any sense yep. of it I wasn't always like this though mm. I, I think it takes work and I think I've come to realize that our our past like we can't change it we can't you know we don't have any control over it we don't have any control over what happens to us but um, it makes us who we are and it builds us into, you know, you know, who we are and what, um, it, it's made me look at things a lot differently. It's changed my perspective on things. It's made me a lot more open-minded. Um, I think there's things about you that give you a really positive upper leg mm -hmm. and a strength in relationship that I think people with out some experience and some serious self-reflection work that you've been doing over the last year like you just wouldn't have that to yeah. offer to people I'm trying to remember I think it was oh I think it was Glennon Doyle Melton um was talking about she had something something that I keep coming back to but she was talking about mountains and how um she was in a grocery store or something and some woman said something to her about how 
you know, we always strive to be like up on that mountain and like feel good and happy and everything and be on the top. But it's when we're in the valleys that it makes us who we are. It gives us our strength. That's where the lessons happen. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like without all of that, we wouldn't become who we're meant to be. Yeah. You know, and, and there's yeah. going to be lots of valleys, you know, and there's yeah. going to be times when you're up on the mountain, but when you're up on the mountain, you don't learn anything. You're just mm -hmm. kind of sitting pretty. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like you're actually able to just kind of sit back and yeah, and look at all that you have learned and take it in and appreciate Because, like, when you're learning it, you, it's hard to see that. But mm -hmm. then those moments of, like, mm -hmm. that reflection and everything. Mm -hmm. I was wondering, because you were talking about um, the way that you were raised with not addressing your emotions, ignoring them, pushing them away. What has that process been like for you and facing them head on and letting them in because that's that's something that I have been discovering a lot this year it was really hard at first I remember when it hit me actually so we were probably the probably the first year they it was just intensive outpatient therapy working with um you know not dealing with emotions and food and I never it didn't actually hit me that this is what I needed to do so it took about a year until I finally remember like my first big emotion hit and I didn't have anything to cope with it, to deal with it. Um, and it was, it was horrible. It was probably the worst. I remember, I don't know who I called. I called someone and I was like, this is the worst feeling I've ever felt in my life. And I said, and it's nothing. It's over nothing. It's mm -hmm. the stupidest thing ever, but it is the most painful thing ever. Mm -hmm. And what it was actually was a fellow friend from therapy. That's what I remember now. And she said, what'll happen is, it, it's like a muscle and it'll just get easier and easier as you do it. But because I've never done it before, <laughs> because I've never felt them, um, you know, it, it's going to be painful. And so I had to keep doing it. And I, and I, that's, I think what, you know, you saw as my friend over, you know, the winter here is me trying to deal with these really big emotions mm -hmm. and not, knowing what or how to deal with them in a constructive way and not really having any coping mechanisms. Yeah. And cause that's what I, there's, there was nothing for me to fall back on. And coping skills are like, we all develop them in a trial and error way. That's and how so we that, find out. Exactly. So you yeah. don't develop coping skills until you have shit to cope with. Yeah. And so you suddenly have all the shit to cope with and what, <laughs> you, what you've been using to cope previously for years and years and years, yeah. which now is not just a coping skill, but it's also an addiction. Yeah then that's taken away from you. Because yep. it was interesting when you were talking about like feeling that way, it sounded so similar to people who have addictions mm -hmm. to a drug, mm -hmm. to alcohol, and they're like going in their first like, I don't know if craving is the right word, but like where they need that and they call their sponsor. Like yeah. that sounds like yeah. an identical yeah. story. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think too, like what the place that you were at was like, it was almost like being back, like, you were starting from scratch. Yeah, like being I was a, a seven-year-old. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So you were picking up there. Mm -hmm. And I think that, that when you look at the people around us, like all these adults walking around, like children, mm -hmm. that's why. Yeah. Because they haven't learned how to cope with these emotions. Yeah. And, you know? and how do we, you know, help these people, and especially people yeah. who work with young people, how do we teach them these skills? Yeah. How do we, you know... So, the, the ones who don't get it at home. Yeah. How do we work with that? What What is it that you tell yourself? Or, like, do you have any sort of, like, how do you walk yourself through it when you when that emotion hits? And I'm curious, too, of, like, that first emotion that hit. What was it about and what was the emotion that you were feeling? I'm trying to remember. I remember laying on my bed. 
Um, I think I got in a fight with my mom. It was something really stupid, like over, um, <laughs> I, I remember it was the stupidest thing. It was like over something that she did. So at this point, so I went back to grad school, I'm living at home. Um, and I think she like threw away something or it was the, like, it was the stupidest thing. But I think because I was ultra sensitive, I, I was very naked. That's kind of what I felt like. I was yeah. very naked. Um, it just, it, I took, it took over. Yeah. Um, and what. So was it anger? It was, or? it was anger, but it came out in sadness. Okay. And I mean, it was, it was almost like all the emotions rolled into one. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the frustrating thing is I couldn't figure out what it was. I couldn't actually identify which emotion it was. But, um, what my therapist told me is, Every emotion is like a wave or every feeling. So, you know, waves come in, they usually start with one big wave and then they slowly, you know, as they're coming into shore, kind of get smaller and smaller. So the first one is going to be really big and really powerful Mm. and you just have to go into it. Mm -hmm. Just dive into it, deal with it. Because if you like tense up and don't deal with it, it's going to keep hitting you until you do. Yeah. And so that's what I had to do is I just went with it. I didn't cope or I didn't, you know, cope with food. Mm-hmm. I kind of just laid there. I remember, I think I cried for a little bit and then fell asleep. <laughs> and then I woke up and I was like, yeah. okay, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. But, um, and each time it did get easier and there are still emotions that rock me to the core and I'm, mm-hmm. you know, on the floor sometimes, but I think it's going to take a couple of years for me to, I mean, it's a lifetime mm-hmm. of you know, emotions to deal with. 30 years of emotions to deal with. Yeah. 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 Can I ask to kind Mm -hmm. of bring this back a little bit to your family? Are your parents still together? Mm -hmm. And how was that Mm -hmm. when you lived at home? Was that kind of before you realized a lot of your, I don't know about anger, but a lot of your, I don't know, stress was rooted in that or? Yeah. So what ended up happening the affair, or one of the affairs, went on, and then as I was leaving for college, I remember. And I remember my dad lost his job. And so that was the end of that affair, and that's the last affair that I knew of. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness. Um, and then, my, so my dad lost his job at that point. We got this amazing dog that, like, changed our family's life. Oh! Yeah. Oh, the best. He's a rescue oh. dog. Rescue dog. Yes, he was the best. But he, he even, it's a Wheaton Terrier. Yes, yes. they are so oh smart. Oh my god, he was the so best. Sweet. We actually just, that was another thing. We had to put him down over this week. Oh! <laughs> you say it. God! I mean, I mean, well, it's, it's only humorous because it's like it's truly humorous. everything happens. Well, what else I, I mean, happen? it, it yeah. truly, because it was everything. Like yeah. it, it, I, I remember that actually. Yes. I remember you talking. I remember that now. And I was like, is there anything else? And then, yeah. boom, there was something else. Never tempt fate with that phrase. <laughs> yeah. It's the worst. Um, but so we got this dog, and actually, um, our family credits this dog with. He changed my dad. It was the weirdest wow. thing. And I'm, I'm a religious, I'm Christian. I'm a very liberal Christian, though. Um, I don't believe in actual big churches. I just believe in, you know, um, personal relationships. But. I think he was put in our lives for a reason. I feel like 
this dog. He he literally he taught my dad like compassion. And my dad hated animals before. He loved this guy. I remember my mom brought the dog in. My dad said, "It's me or the dog," and my mom said, "The dog, <laughs> <laughs> the dog." And my dad left for like a week. Oh my god! Yeah, and my mom was so brave for for doing that. Yeah, and he came back and lived with the dog, and you know it, the dog was amazing. Um, so. My parents, from that point on, their relationship was different than what it was growing up. And I don't know if it was the change of jobs. My dad actually never outright admitted or apologized for his affairs, which I know is a big part in the healing process when it comes to relationships and affairs, Um, which I don't know if I could live with, but it's something my mom can do. She, you know, says there's still no trust there. Wow. Yeah. Did you observe any, and I don't know your family dynamics, Yeah. people are pretty private about things, but because you were living with them yeah. over this last year mm-hmm. while in therapy mm-hmm. and getting, like, naming a lot of the roots of your stress mm-hmm. and your trauma, mm-hmm. and I'm just so curious, how did that impact your relationship with your dad? Because I think it would be so hard for me to live with someone when I was every week or month right. coming up with new That's things that, point. like, they yeah. did to her hurt me that yeah. I'm still years later dealing question. with. Sorry to be... No. Not to be dramatic about no. your own feelings. Because that's just... something big I've been dealing with. Um, yeah. I don't have a... Actually, so it's weird. I don't know if I put on a show that I have a good relationship with my dad or not. I'm still figuring that out. I don't have an amazing connection or love for my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, he also traveled a lot with me growing up, up until I was 18. Mm-hmm. Um... And so I really didn't get to see him a whole lot. And from everything that he did, I feel like it's broken. There's still a sense of, well, he's my dad kind of thing, which I then start to feel guilty. So I'm very, this is something I'm actually currently still working on is, um, so living in the household, I, I, I try, I'm, I avoid him. Mm-hmm. But I'm okay with, as long as I'm not, like, alone with him, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as someone's there. But I find it very awkward to be there just hanging out with him alone. Mm-hmm. Very uncomfortable. Um, he he is different, though. And that's, you know, I keep seeing that, but it still doesn't make up for the fact of everything that happened. Yeah. yeah. You know, he's he's... You know, congratulated me for, at graduation time, gave me a hug with tears in his eyes, saying he's so proud of me, things like that. Um, but it still doesn't change anything. Yeah. I think about, though, his childhood was a mess, too. He didn't have a father figure. His dad left and started another family and wouldn't talk to his family. Um, you know, single mom raised him and his, his brothers and sisters. So, you know, when I think about how he was raised, I can kind I don't excuse the behavior, but I can see that he doesn't know what it should look like. Yeah. And so it's, it's been weird. Um, he makes light of mental health issues. And so, yeah. (laughs) I, I think I'm just, wow. I'm just really amazed that you were able to live with him Mm -hmm. during this year with these discoveries and have him continue to make, and I, I shouldn't be, I'm not trying no, to No, you, you do I that. I don't know. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm feeling like I'm having some anger listening yeah. to this. Oh, yeah. I'm really yeah. frustrated that he oh, would downplay yeah. a mm-hmm. mental health, well, a mental disorder, but I yeah. mean, yeah, that he would do that when he's 
maybe triggered so much mm -hmm. of what you're dealing with and what you're putting in so much hard work into healing from yeah. and coping with. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And, wow. and then there's times, though, that he tries to help in his own weird way. Like, there's this song, um, Demons, this new song on the radio that I don't remember who it's by. But he told me, he's like, I think you should listen to it because I think it's a lot of what you're dealing with. And maybe it'll help you. <laughs> and it's called Demons. Thanks, but it's about this, this woman's, like, inner demons and, like, dealing with things and her past stuff. And so it's very... I don't think he knows how. Yeah. And so I can Yeah. Yeah. And so I can I can pack that away. Mm -hmm. Um I don't think I'll ever confront him about it. Yeah. My therapist has talked to me about that and it still freaks me the heck out. About everything how, what he did yeah. to you Yeah. Up. My mom I did. I talked yeah. to my mom about everything. Yeah. And how, you know, her talking to me about my dad really affected me. Mm -hmm. But my dad I could not do that to. Yeah. I want to ask you a little bit more about your, like, sexual identity and that mm -hmm. evolution, because it sounds like you feel like that definitely plays a part mm -hmm. in this as well. What kind of, I, I feel like you maybe just kind of recently have mm -hmm. been sitting with where you're at with your identity, or yeah. at least letting yourself acknowledge that your identity might be more fluid than it yeah. once thought it was. Yeah. But when do you feel like that started, and oh, man. just talk about that. <laughs> so... <laughs> I don't even know where to start with this. Um, I recently, so <laughs> up until, you know, I guess when I was a teenager, I'll start with this. So relationships wise, this is my progression of relationships throughout my life. Um, when I was in seventh grade, um, I was in a relationship with a girl and didn't really think anything of it. Um, Really? Yeah. Was it was like, was it a friendship or was it? It was like a, a relationship? sexual relationship. Okay. Yeah, seventh grade. And it was one of my best friends and I was like making out, like, oh, yeah. like everything. Oh kind of um like, not everything, but close to everything. Yeah. Yeah, there was not any <laughs> We're, we know that's a Christian girl answer, and we know what that means, because we both grew up Christian yeah. girls. I know what that means. We, we can take that. Okay, okay. And this, um, this was your first, like, sexual yeah, experience, too? Yeah, yeah. Huh. Um, but I felt, for some reason, very guilty about it. Okay. And there for was, some reason. Well, but there was no... Hold I'm on. Sure there's... But I grew up, so, um, ELCA Lutheran, oh, okay. um, which is yeah. pretty open liberal. and progressive yeah. liberal. Um, yeah. My parents and family, there was really no judgment or anything talked about. Really? Even yeah. with your dad being... About, like, no. Wow. Like, talked about being gay. And so, and I never told them about at this oh. point. They didn't know at this point what I was doing. But for some reason, there was this overwhelming sense that I was going to hell and this was a bad thing. And so, after that, um, I basically, I think it was like ninth grade through 12th grade, I had this long-term relationship off and on with this boy, one of my best friends. And then I went to college, another relationship with a boy. Um, and, I, and I'm very much monogamous, like one person long term, otherwise nothing. Like that's kind of how I am. And so then after college has really been nothing. And I haven't really been attracted to anybody either. I've, I've just kind of been probably dealing with all the shit yeah. that I've been dealing with. And, yeah. um, at therapy, I connected with somebody, a woman, 
and I wasn't even expecting it. Like, didn't even think that anything would happen. Just to clarify, yeah. another person in treatment. In treatment. Not the yes. therapist. Thank you, not Just the therapist. Yep. <laughs> is, that, is that wrong? That could be a problem. Um, okay, anyway, so <laughs> dealing, um, or talking to this, you know, woman, connecting. And the one thing about me is... I get these, like, deep soul connections with people. I don't know what it is, but it's like... <laughs> oh, I feel you. It's like, if I don't have that, there can be nothing. And um, I've had this a couple times in my life, and I felt it with her, and I kind of just went with it. And so that was in October. And we ended up dating through February, I think. Um, and I told my family and like people knew and my family was fine with it. Like everyone was okay, but I don't know how to identify because I don't necessarily find men attractive. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm very conflicted on this whole thing. Mm -hmm. I feel like I need to test the waters again. Mm -hmm. You know, again, as a, um, growing up a good Christian girl, you know, I don't put out on the first... <laughs> 20 dates. No. Um, the first, you know, couple. <laughs> wow. You are a way different no. Christian girl than No, me. no, 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 no. But, you know, I feel like I... I'm very much attracted to women right now. And that's... That's just how it is. And I... But I can't figure out if that was something... And my therapist is working with me on this. If that was something that was all along... Because that was kind of my first sexual experience, and oh, and I also went to prom with a girl. That was I forgot about that. Yeah, I guess that is surprising to me that you've never really sat with like that. You might. It was wrong, in my head. It was guilt. Yeah. I felt guilt. That makes sense. Well, that totally makes sense because even if your family was affirming, we can be honest that like even still, society. there's parts of society that are mm -hmm. not affirming yeah. of that. And I so when I first like when I was talking to this woman. Let's call her Paula. <laughs> Bernice Paula. and Paula. Bernice All and right, Paula. such old-fashioned names. <laughs> um, when, when I was talking to Paula, I said, like, I don't know what this is. I don't know what I am. Like, I didn't, I wasn't looking for anything. I don't want anything. Like, I'm very confused right now. And she was very good about working with me and, you know, um, helping me through it. It was a very tumultuous relationship. Mm -hmm. um, we're both, we're, we're both <laughs> in a point right now that we should not be probably in a relationship. Hmm. I think we both found that out. Um, the breakup was not good. Oh. How yeah. recently was the breakup? February. Have you guys talked oh. since then? Yes, we, okay. and we're friends and okay. we talk, we see each other. Okay. Okay. Um, it took probably a good three, four months. Well, how long was it? February? Yeah, probably three, four months. To talk again? Before we started talking again. Yeah. And I did this to myself, I feel like. But on top of everything else that I was dealing with and figuring out and my sexuality and my dealing with my childhood traumas, then I got into a relationship with someone who was also dealing with shit. Yeah. 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 Um, and so I very much still care for Paula. Yeah. Um, my identity, I don't... I, I don't know. I don't know if I want to label myself. So, have you heard the term demisexual? No. Like, kind of, but I don't know what it is. Okay. Because that's... The root of it is, is that 
you are only physically attracted to people that you first have a deep emotional connection with. Okay. That is like the, the prerequisite to be physically attracted at all. Oh, okay. Um, and because it's interesting to me, like hearing you talk about it, where you don't want yeah. to say that you're bi, you don't want to yeah. say you're lesbian, which makes me wonder, like the relationships that you had in high school, do you not want to illegitimize those with the boys? Like, was there was there like a connection mm. there that you want yeah. to like let yeah. be there? Yeah, yeah, but I there was no sexual anything with okay. the yeah you, okay. you know and that's yeah that's what I'm thinking is you know to be straight you I feel like you have to be sexually attracted to the opposite sex or is that yes no yes but I also this might be some of my own secrets coming out now but I really think that you're I think I'm learning in the last year two years is like I think sexuality is so much more fluid oh it is than just, like, I'm straight or gay. That's why I hate labels. I yeah. think it's also well, about, about like, a relationship. And, and even bi. Like, oh, I yes. think, like, even bi saying, like, I'm open to all gender. I still think there is that. For me, at least, like, you don't know who you're going to be, like, psychologically, like, connected to and, like, intimately have that yeah, soulmate connection with. And the thing is, I think about my whole lifetime of relationships partnerships or friendships and like the most intimate relationships that I have right now are with women. Yeah. The most intimate connected friendships. But I can't say I've ever felt really wanting to like be in a romantic partnership with mm-hmm. any of those people. And I and I still I mean like Pepper, you're my best friend and I feel like I don't feel like the like romant wanting a romantic partnership. I hope this isn't a surprise to you. But <laughs> I am crushed. I don't, I don't. That's why I'm doing this podcast. Was oh, no. With the hopes. I felt some tension yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. But I also will say, I think that women are given permission to be mm-hmm. a little bit more sexually mm-hmm. fluid. And so, um, if I have yes, or have not, not made out with yep. a woman in my lifetime, if I have or have not, like, done boob stuff with women, um, <laughs> I'm not saying I did, mom, but I'm just saying, if those things have happened <laughs> in my life, I do think that, like, because... Women are given permission to experiment and not have to take on an identity. That's and un- men yeah. aren't given that That's opportunity at all. Right. That's something that Owen, my, my boyfriend, um, has talked about how in Greek society, mm-hmm. it was the opposite. Mm-hmm. In Greek society, yep. man was the symbol of beauty. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so that's why like, like there was a lot of more like gay sex mm-hmm. happening in Greece that was like totally cool. And, yep. that's, like, mm-hmm. and that's changed now in yep. our society, which is super interesting. Because it just seems like... Yeah. That's the only way, because yeah. that's what we've been raised around. It's like, of course, the woman is the more, yep. you know, symbol of I'm beauty. I'm still going to name some patriarchy in that, though, because I do think that men give women permission to experiment because they find it sexually pleasing. Yeah. So I think for me to make out with a woman, I may be doing that also, like, to please a man. But I do think that that's part of why women are given permission. It's still rooted in patriarchy, but it is convenient that I can have whatever past I've had and experiment however I choose to and in the future experiment how I choose to and still not feel any pressure to identify differently than Mm -hmm. I do. I'm more interested in a romantic partnership with a man. Mm -hmm. Partially because that's all I've ever practiced over and over in my life. I've been Mm -hmm. in lots of partnerships with men. Um, So you're not on the opposite right now. And I... In my mind, my mom's very confused by this because she's like, you've always... And I was like, well, I haven't told you. Um, Porn-wise, women, usually. Oh, me too. Yeah. 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 
I don't really watch porn. <laughs> what? I thought we talked about this before. I, I don't. I I have, but it's okay. not. Um, doesn't do much for me, in general, and yeah. I'm probably not watching the right stuff. Well, in it's air quotes, not. But it's just not what I need. Like I just yeah. put on some Beyonce. Listen <laughs> 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 to Beyonce yeah, on the way here. Yeah. Honestly, <laughs> convenient. So, but yeah. um, I think it for me also. Women tend to have more of a, um, I can't explain it, like a sensual, um, communication, like, yeah, not always. I think that connection we're more aware of. Yes. Maybe. Um, like when you have a crazy connection where you're like, I get you, I feel like we might be more keen on right. like naming that when it happens. Yeah. Well, I think so. I think that's another product of like socially, it is more I okay for women I to agree. express that than men. And I think about like... That's just something that, like, women, even in our friendships, we're given permission to do that. And men even have limitations on their friendship with other men Mm -hmm. because there's so much homophobia, even in, like, male and male, like, friendships. Yeah, Mm -hmm. there is. Whereas, like, for women, like, I think a lot of women have made out with their best friend or have done things with their best friends. And I think that, like, no one even questions their right. sexuality. Right. You know? Like, I would not question anyone's sexuality if they told me that they made out with a woman mm-hmm. last weekend. I'd be mm-hmm. like... Or feeling shame yeah. about it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Or a, a reason to really I'd be like, hide I think a lot of women do that. And it's almost I, a point of pride, actually. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, check me out. <laughs> but I think it's important that we... I, I do think sexuality is fluid, and I don't think society allows us to figure out who we are, what we are, or allows us to be flexible with it. You know, the, the word fluid being flexible. Mm-hmm. I think that putting a label on it means that, y- you know, <laughs> you are this and this is what you have to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. it shouldn't be that rigid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just want to share a secret. Yeah. I have been sexually attracted to you. <gasps> so there you go. <laughs> oh, my, oh my God! <laughs> what? <laughs> my secret. I knew I felt it. I'm going to tell you. <laughs> It was when, well, cause it's like, wait. no, it was when we were at that fashion show. Oh, um, yeah. And that woman <laughs> came up and started, it was like reading poetry. Mm. And it was beautiful. And it was all about being a woman. And I just yeah. like, I wanted to just like kiss you. And I was just like, I just was like <laughs> feeling it. It was probably just like being a woman, but also like you. Like, <laughs> <Whoa>! <laughs> I don't know how to respond to this on the podcast. <laughs> See, this is where it gets good. <laughs> listening to this thing. Now you're going to start listening to the podcast. <laughs> yeah. You don't need to respond. I just okay. you know, thought I'd, uh, How was the thought I'd make it juicy. Yeah. Um, it came up when you were making that joke. I think well, though, I was like, okay, just share this now. Okay. Okay. I'm not totally going to totally unpack that right now on don't. the podcast. We are going Please to. Don't. We're going we're gonna to go out soon and talk about it. But I also want to say. Bring the microphone. I also want to say that I do think that because you are probably the most intimate relationship that I have in my life right now. And the most consistent. Mm-hmm. The double whammy. I do think that there is a part of me that I'm like, I do, I do treat you like a partner sometimes. You know what I mean? Where, like, I'm like, yeah, if something, like, really terrible happens, the person I would want to have be there is you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is kind of where I'm learning a lot more, like, fluidity between, like, partnership and friendship. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, part of that is because I just, like, sleep with all of my friends who are men who are, like, after I date them, like, I still want, I still, like, I want you my friend. 
And like if things still happen, also they still want happen. that dick though. <laughs> Maybe depends. Oh, on women dick. can have dicks too. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Great point. But I think that like I'm just learning this last year and a half. Like being friends with a lot of my exes, I live with one of my exes. I like, I just think that that whole like black and white approach to like either they're your partner or they're your friend or they're like your angry ex. Mm-hmm. And I have a few angry exes too. But I think that like. <laughs> I'm just learning how much relationship is whatever value you assign it. And so I think that I do see you as a partner in a sense, but I don't see you... I mean... We'll, we'll go to brunch soon. We'll talk about but it. But I do find um, you, like, crazy hot, obviously. Sure. But I don't think that's a piece of women... doesn't need to be reciprocated. I know. Like, I'm just saying, like, you but don't But I need, think you know, the women are given... Like I think we get to say, like, my friends are crazy sexy. Yeah. And that no one will yeah. even question my sexuality. And I think that's maybe part of why... I do want to unpack a little bit, because all three of us, Bernice, Pepper, and I... Yeah. All grew up in some relation to Christianity. It sounds like, Bernice, you had a much more um, freedom-liberating type of connection to Christianity than either of us have or had ever in our lives. But I'm wondering how... Do you think that that would impact any more about, like, how we identify or choose not to identify or why you've chosen... Or why you didn't feel comfortable, Bernice, to identify until years, 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 years after your first girlfriend, actually. <laughs> your, your second girlfriend, actually. <laughs> Let's be... Let's be honest. Let's be honest. <laughs> I have no idea. I'm still very... I, I feel like I'm a confused teenager. And that's why this whole process is so... I, I feel like I'm going through an identity crisis in more well, ways than one. some of that yeah. paused when you were so young? Like, you yeah, talked about some development that paused it. at age yeah. seven. Mm-hmm. And, like, your coping skills mm-hmm. paused at age seven. Mm-hmm. And then maybe, like, sexual discovery and, like, mm-hmm. identify... I mean, just reflection probably also paused yeah. at a time when you're like, I don't have the emotional, psychological energy to place to this because some yeah. other things were taken up. So, to answer your question, I don't feel like my Thanks. church or my religion in my mind dampened my thing, but I did feel guilty. I thought I was going to hell. Mm-hmm. I, I, I remember apologizing to God. Even though, like, mm. your social structure yeah. did not right. actually do that. It was, it's the weirdest thing. Yeah. yeah. That would be mm. especially hard guilt to get over because you couldn't blame it on a social structure. Right. So it's like, is this a true form of guilt then? Yeah. Is this the Holy Spirit convicting right. me? Right. You know, kind of right. Thing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing, I, I kind of wanted to backpedal a little okay. bit because you, you were talking about, with, like, the the new way that you're approaching relationships, which I love. Mm-hmm. I think that's so healthy for all relationships then. I mean, especially I think what that does is it takes the pressure off of your partner, whoever your partner is, for them to be your everything, when mm-hmm. you are letting your yes. friends mm-hmm. also satisfy and fulfill different parts of relationships yep. that you need. And it reminds me of a phrase that um, an old friend of mine told me. Um, we're no longer really friends, you know, just like one of those relationships that just kind of like disappeared, but this has stuck with me. From it, and it's um, treat your friends like your lovers, and your lovers like your friends, hmm. and just that tipping of the scales and balancing out. Yeah. You know, I think it's it's about like seeing your friends as so much more valuable, mm-hmm. and then a yeah. lot of times we give them, and then also like not putting as much of that pressure on your romantic partner. Yeah, you know, yeah. to to be everything for you, and that's helped me a lot when mm-hmm. I feel yeah. like things have gotten a little out of mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. out of balance. But anyway. yeah. I just really yeah. wanted to say that. No, <laughs> I, I like, I that. like I that, that a lot. Like that too. Yeah. 
this did not go where I expected it to go. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I think that's probably the best case scenario, actually, yeah. when you're having a podcast. Like, uh-huh. let, it, let it go wherever it goes. Um, but is there anything else, Bernice, that you would like to share, especially listeners who may be related really strongly with your story, um, or maybe listeners who probably do have an undiagnosed eating disorder? Mm-hmm. Kind of any words of advice? Also the program that you were in. Yeah. Yeah. Anything you want to share? Yeah. So I went through the Melrose Center um, here in St. Paul. Um, And I think it's through St. Louis Park too, but I really did like it. Um, What I... It actually happened so fast. I think you should not be afraid to figure out who you are. Because I think that it's probably some of the hardest work you'll ever do. Um, But... You, in order for you to live your best life and, and to try to live your best life, you don't want to live with eating disorders and with you know th- these unsolved emotional traumas and all these other things um, holding you back. Seeing a therapist, and just seeing a therapist if you need to, is not a big deal. I, I feel like that's the biggest thing that when I talk to people about this, they're like, oh, I don't know how you can talk to somebody about all your problems the best thing ever yeah it's like this third party that has no you know skin in the game on your life they they just have Mm -hmm. you know you can tell them anything so I guess um don't be afraid to talk to people don't be afraid to reach out Mm -hmm. that's the hardest step is to take that reach out part um and do it and it's never too late you know I'm gonna be 32 this year Mm -hmm. and um (laughs) it's never too late to figure out who you are yeah (laughs) Well, well, thank you. Yes. Thank Seriously, you guys thank for you having for coming me. on. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you just are such a self-aware person. Yeah. So you, I, when I first told you about the podcast, I remember a few months back, you were like, oh, I'll be on it. Like, I didn't even need to sell you on it. You were just like, I was like, it's a podcast where we were just like, my best Talk friend about and I myself? share our secrets and <laughs> talk about their secrets. And you were like, yeah, I do that. And I was like, okay, we're going to schedule it. Here we go. Come on, you. Um, this has been awesome, though. I just so appreciate yeah. how open you've been. And um for those of you listening, if you are interested in being a guest on our show, um, feel free to email us at topsecretgirlcast at gmail.com. Um, we'd love to hear your secrets. Also, if you don't feel comfortable or you're maybe geographically not located in the Twin Cities where you could be interviewed on the show, also feel free to email us your secrets. We are starting a, um, we're hoping to start a piece on our podcast where we can actually read emails from secrets, especially if they're along the same trajectory as our guests speaking to secrets, kind of talking about other people's secrets that relate. So we'd love to hear uh, your stories. But for now, this has been episode four of Top Secret Girlcast. Join us next week. Hello, beautiful people. Kitty here to give some shout-outs to the many giving souls that make Top Secret Girlcast possible. Our podcast is produced by my tray-tray dope cousin, Derek, and our music is by the incredibly talented Bob Bean. Pepper and I would like to give a giant shout-out for making the music production for our podcast super-duper easy and customized to our every last Girlcasting desire. Lastly, thank you to all of the guests who have already been and will be courageous enough to be vulnerable with us on the show. 
If you or someone you know would be interested in having your secret read on the podcast or being interviewed on the show in our Northeast Minneapolis studio, please email us at topsecretgirlcast at gmail.com.